Hello and welcome to Lessons Learned with me, Laura Winter. In this podcast, I'm going to speak to star sports men and women about the moments, choices, or indeed in hindsight, the mistakes that have formed the backdrop to their greatest victories and their biggest defeats. Because more often than not, a lesson learned the hard way is a lesson learned for a lifetime. Well, here we go. Welcome back to series two of Lessons Learned. I am Laura Winter, sports broadcaster, podcaster, obviously, host and journalist, and I'm so excited to be bringing you another season of my podcast. We are about to delve into the minds of brilliant sports people once again to discover the pinnacle moments that have shaped their professional and personal lives and the lessons they've learned along the way. Perhaps lessons we could all take some comfort and inspiration from too. We are kicking things off with a visit to the world of motorsport as I speak to one of the most exciting up-and-coming talents, a driver who is firmly focused on becoming a Formula One star, Jamie Chadwick. This season, in each episode, I also want you to be involved as well. So keep your eyes peeled on social media at Lessons Learned Pod and at Laura C. Winter and get your questions in. The best will be asked on the podcast. Keep listening to see if your question for Jamie made it in. We are recording at the start of 2021, so unfortunately, like last year, due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, Jamie and I spoke virtually. But we've smoothed the audio out as much as possible for you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. So a very warm welcome to my fabulous guest today, Jamie Chadwick. Jamie is a trailblazing racing driver. She was the first woman and youngest driver to win the British GT Championships GT4 title. In 2018, she became the first ever woman to win a British F3 race. In 2019, she was the first female winner of the MRF Challenge Series, and of course, the winner of the inaugural W Series. She is also a development driver for the F1 team Williams Racing, and harbors a burning ambition to become an F1 driver and I am so excited to have her on the podcast. Jamie, very warm welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. It's been a funny couple of years, hasn't it? Where are you in the world right now and um, what are you up to? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's bizarre, I guess, for a lot of sports people. Um, Yeah, the current climate. But yeah, I'm back in London at the moment. So yeah, back in the UK. It's kind of normally our off season uh, right now. So yeah, just trying to get back into training as much as I can, uh, preparing for the year ahead. But I guess for everyone with so much of uncertainty, it's a bit more difficult trying to plan um, your off season, but still kind of enjoying a little bit of time at home to do the things I want to be doing. It is such a strange time, isn't it? Um, And difficult to plan because there is still an element of uncertainty. We're recording this um, in February of 2021 and we thought COVID would be a distant memory at this point. um, And it still isn't. We're sitting here on Zoom. We can't be in person together, of course. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I hope that in thinking about your five moments, you kind of took a time to reflect. I found all my guests last series certainly likened it to therapy, um, really enjoyed (laughs) looking back over kind of their lives and seeing these key pinnacle points where that have shaped them and and where their life has taken a different direction. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, because I I really struggled to think of it uh, initially. And I think the first thing I did was I went through maybe the five most memorable moments of my career, which maybe what stands out to most people is or maybe on paper look like the standout moments and I wrote those down and I was ready to send it and be like okay that's that and I actually had to think a little bit deeper as to you know actually the things that have influenced my career and actually the things that have had an impact and when I did that it was quite interesting the things that I ended up 
reflecting on, like you said, and the things that I ended up thinking about actually have made the biggest difference without, yeah, really realising, well, really realising it at the time. Yeah, that's really funny you say that because I've just read out that intro about you, which has got all the firsts that you've achieved in your career and and all that you're doing in motorsport. And actually, I think only one of them, maybe not even one of them, is actually listed in there. So those big key achievements that you have, you have included as your key moments, which is which is funny. It's exactly what I want as a podcast because we don't want the, <laughs> I was really happy to win the W Series because of, of course you were. We want, but behind the scenes, I was worried about this or personally I was going through this. So we're, yeah, I'm excited to hear um, what you have in store for us. Should we get going with um, your first lesson learned? Yeah, definitely. I think the first one, I mean, this is sort of the first uh, step in my racing career so I guess you could argue it is a little bit um, yeah the, one of the standout moments but um, the first thing I did really in motorsport was um, I started in karting relatively late so most young drivers that don't know much about motorsport um, you know they start in co-karts maybe age six to eight so really quite young and I didn't even know what motorsport was at that age properly so I didn't get into it until I was about 12 and even at that age it was very much as a hobby. It wasn't anything I thought was going to be a career. I enjoyed doing it at the weekends of once a month um, whenever I could, but that really was it. And it was my older brother that was kind of pursuing it a little bit more. And he progressed up into racing in a junior car championship in the UK. And I sort of looked at it and I was like, that looks quite cool, but I'm quite enjoying doing my karting once a month just as a hobby. And um, when I was 13 to the second year that I'd been in go-karts, this opportunity came about to enter something called the Janetta Junior Scholarship, which is a scholarship um, for young drivers that gives them a fully funded season in the Janetta Junior Championship, which my brother was racing in at the time. And for me, that was kind of something I was interested in, but wasn't thinking it was going to be, you know, something I could actually get involved in or something that I was going to end up doing. But I took a punt on doing the scholarship. Um, The only way I was going to do that championship was if I won the scholarship, because if I think if I hadn't gone and did that, I think I probably would have maybe not pursued motorsport in the end. And the dates came back for the scholarship and it clashed with some dates that I had for some hockey trials. And I was playing hockey at the time, I was doing other sports and there's all these clashes of dates. And I was like, oh, what do I do? Which one do I pick? And in that moment, for whatever reason, um, I picked motorsport and I went and did the scholarship and I mean, I worked hard to prepare for it, but I really, really didn't expect to win it and ended up winning that scholarship and getting that fully funded season in its first year. So that was really the first time that I kind of looked at motorsport and was like, actually, this could be a career and this could be yeah, a changing moment. And obviously having to pick motorsport over another sport and the decision I made in that in that moment showed to me that, you know, this was actually what I wanted to pursue. That was a seminal moment then. That was actually the moment that led to the rest of your career. Well, that's a brilliant one to start with. Um, what do you think made you choose motorsport over hockey? And what other sports were you involved in at the time as well? Um, I kind of, I just liked playing sport. I think at that age, I didn't feel the need to specialise because I liked doing everything and I liked kind of being able to have that freedom and flexibility. So hockey was probably the one that I was um able to pursue the most um i had opportunities um to play hockey um but i probably wouldn't have been good enough to have made it um and other sports things like tennis and running and um at the time skiing it was just i liked doing other stuff and having that freedom and flexibility but obviously when you get to sort of the age 13 14 it kind of gets that time as to 
if you want to pursue a sport, you've kind of got to sort of go down one route. And I think the one thing about motorsport that even I remember the first day I sat in a go-kart stood out to me was the fact that although it's a sport and, you know, you have that, um, you know, sporting element of needing to you know, work hard, train hard and be at the top level of, um, of it to succeed in, there's also so much more to it. You know, you've got the car, you've got, in that case, the go-kart that you had to set up. You had to work with your mechanic and your engineer. There was this whole team element, the mechanical element, and there was so much more to it alongside the sporting element that I just fell in love with it. And yeah, it became, but the further on I went in my career, it became more and more obvious that it was a sport that, yeah, I really, truly loved. It combines individual brilliance and heroics with this key team core element that you cannot achieve that individual brilliance without that team behind you. So it sort of combines the best of both worlds. And that I think that's clear to me when you come into motorsport and you go into a paddock that it takes a village to get that car <laughs> on the track and to get that driver in the right headspace on the track as well. Um, just talk us through what actually is involved in the Janessa Junior Scholarship and, and what you had to go through and how many people you beat off. Yeah, so I it was a long time ago so uh, from memory it was so three days I think the scholarship process was and um, part of it was sort of on track driving so um, you know that kind of bit was a bit more natural to, to me in that sort of phase um, of yeah me growing up in motorsport but then the other two elements were media training and uh, physical fitness so those were two things I never had to really think about too much uh, when racing go-karts especially media training that was completely new to me but um the Janetta Junior Championship had quite a large profile for a championship of that nature so for me to go from racing in go-karts age 12 at my local kart track uh, once a month to then suddenly be on this uh, package of the Janetta Junior Championship that has live tv coverage you know has um a bit more of a following is quite a big step to jump into so um yeah, the main things that I had to focus on were trying to tick all the boxes in all three elements. Um, there was, I think, 60 um, people that were there. Um, they're all other guys, 13, 14-year-old boys. Um, and yeah, I I really actually don't remember it that well. Uh, honestly, it's really weird. I've kind of like clearly blanked it out of my memory because I really don't remember um, too well the actual process of it. But obviously, yeah, to have won it and to have got that opportunity to race in the championship the year after, like you said, was probably the most defining moment um, of my career, I guess. And were you at that point the only girl who was involved in the process? Were there other girls around you? And, and what was the reaction to you as a 12, 13 year old girl coming into what was clearly a very male dominated space? Yeah, I was the only girl in that uh, scholarship. Yeah, I do remember that. And uh, I think the thing for me was, I kind of just become accustomed to that. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I think it obviously helped me um, starting a motorsport because I think if I was aware of it, I probably wouldn't have got um, you know involved or as interested as I did in the early phases. But for whatever reason, um, even when started in go-karting, I was one of probably one or two other girls um, in the whole paddock. And it, I was so oblivious to it. It didn't seem like a issue to me. You know, All I wanted to do was put my helmet on and go do the best in the race and I genuinely didn't care about really anything else and I always knew that if I go with that attitude and if I just try and do the best I can um, on track then you know they're never going to get any backlash and I kind of maintain that belief still now. Um, the scholarship was quite a nice process because although there was a lot of younger guys that I was sort of competing for it against um, everyone's parents were there and I think 
it was quite a heartwarming experience because the respect that I gained um, by winning it, I felt I've never felt anything like that. And so, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, um, I guess I would describe it as ignorance and just being oblivious to being one of so few females. But fortunately, it meant that I was able to to get involved and enjoy the sport for all the right reasons and not because it's so male dominated. I think ignorance um, is a little hard on yourself. I'd say it's that blissful naivety we have as, as mm-hmm. young kids, young girls, where we don't see our gender as being a barrier to anything. And it's only when you become 16, 17, 18, you, you suddenly open your eyes and ears to, to sexism and, <laughs> and to the discrimination that women can face in the world. And I think it's brilliant that you, from the outset, just said, well, I'm going to just do my talking in the car. Whatever, whatever car I'm in, I'll let that be how I prove myself and my gender plays no part in it. You're so right. I think, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think it is just naivety because I also remember I was playing football um, at a really young age and I got really confused when I think it was maybe at the age of 11 or 12, um, you know, we played mixed football up until that age. And then afterwards, um, the teams got separated. And I remember being really confused by that. And I couldn't understand why the men had to play separately to the women, because to me, I couldn't also understand why the men then went on to be better than the women in a sport like football. It just blew my mind and so just that sort of blissful kind of yeah I would say ignorance but naivety to a degree is just I think something that obviously really helped me get involved in the sport but it's something that I wish you know more young girls can sort of see just getting into sport in general because I guess yeah that is the biggest barrier at the moment in a sport like motorsport and trying to change the sort of yeah dynamic of the sport in terms of how male dominated it is it really just does need more young girls getting in at the grassroots level you're so right we need more blissfully ignorant young girls (laughs) to go I don't care that I'm a girl I'm gonna do sport um you're exactly right so that was a huge a huge moment for you and one that came very young in life as well um what is the second lesson that you've learned over the years yeah so the second lesson I've learned is about working with the right people um I think we've kind of touched on it a bit before that, you know, every sport is a massive team sport, even if it's seen as maybe an individual sport like motorsport or like tennis or whatever, it's not seen as a team sport. It still, uh, you know, involves a whole team of people to make, you know, me drive quickly on a race weekend or me win a race. And I think the one thing I've learned is about having the right people around me and whatever form that's in, whether it's, you know, my physio or my trainer or if it's my mechanic my engineer I think having the right people has made possibly the biggest difference to my mental well-being my physical well-being um you know on a race weekend and I think I've been through different people being heavily involved in my career different mentors different managers and I would say now in the last year or two um I've only sort of found the best balance I would say and I've got a great sort of uh, relationship with everyone around me now I kind of call it family um I see it as a family I see everyone I work with as that kind of second um yeah second family like I said because I can spend time with them and trust them to the core with anything that I tell them but I also know that you know they've got my best interests at heart and they will well we're all the same we all have the same goal you know we all want me to do well on a race weekend and I think that sort of trust and that level of yeah understanding is what makes a massive difference for a lot of athletes so without meaning to to cause drama or, or to name names, was there a point in your career where you feel that you were actually surrounded by the wrong people or perhaps people that you just didn't click with or perhaps didn't have best interests at heart? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I was sort of 
15, 16, I'm not from a racing background. And I sort of found myself into this sort of point of my career where I needed management, I needed support, I needed people to advise me. And I just didn't have the right people telling me or giving me the right advice. And I was being steered in a direction that my gut was sort of saying one thing and they were saying another thing. And, you know, my family was saying something else and I didn't know who to listen to. And the biggest issue there is not, you know, someone taking me in the wrong direction. I don't mind that, you know, everyone's going to, we're all going to make mistakes in our career, but me doubting uh, people and me having about 300 people in my ear telling me different things. And then suddenly you're, head just explodes before you've even got to the race and that was one of the biggest issues I found is I didn't know who to listen to and who to kind of take advice from and now I feel like I've got a sort of group around me that I know exactly who I can lean on for certain advice and 90% of the time I in my gut I feel something um, and they'll say something else but I'll go with what they say and it's the right decision and every now and then it's not but I know that they have got my best interests and that is all that matters to me and yeah I would say it's probably the biggest part of um, you know success for me at the moment is having the right team of people around me. Yeah, for sure. I think gut instinct is something that is so often proved right. And as you get older, you think, God, I ignored my gut in that moment and it was so right. <laughs> and it's frustrating <laughs> looking back. You think, I knew, I knew all along that feeling in the pit of your stomach um, that that decision was the right one or the wrong one. And, and you've got to have the faith to go with it. But I think that's stressful enough at any age, let alone kind of 15, 16, where arguably as a teenager, a teenage girl in a male dominated space, you don't actually know who you are. You don't know what you want. You don't know what what's going to happen so it must have been an incredibly uh sort of overexposing uh opportunity and environment for you to be in to have all of these voices talking to you and thinking I don't I don't know what to do here yeah massively and it was just I felt like I was living three different lives as well back at that age you know I was trying to live this professional life of trying to become a professional racing driver and I had management and people telling me no I needed to be this way in a certain way uh in that sense and then I was still at school so still trying to live my normal sort of life back there and I think I just remember it being too difficult to try and manage it all and I think the main thing for me now is just having balance trying to have this sort of compromise between all walks of my life um you know enjoying it enjoying every moment I think I definitely it's cliche but I definitely perform best when I'm enjoying it and I definitely enjoy the process of the hard days of training and the hard uh, days at the track when you know, I still love what I do. And I think just maintaining that kind of integrity and maintaining that sort of thought process is so important. You're so right, though, about happiness. Um, I know you're a keen cyclist as well, aren't you? And they always say that happiness watts are so important. And you can tell when a rider is happy off away from the racing scene because it will transcend onto the roads themselves. You've mentioned about surrounding yourself with the right people. Do you now know or can you pinpoint what makes up the right kind of person for Jamie Chadwick? Oh, I think for me, I would say I'm incredibly stubborn. So like brutally stubborn, anyone that's close to me knows that that's just the way I am. But I think people that don't try and fight what I say or fight my feelings, they try and work with me and try and work around things because I think I don't like, I hate confrontation. For someone that is so stubborn, I hate confrontation and I hate conflict. So to try and, fight against me, whatever my opinion is, um, is always a bit of a disaster. So generally I like just working with people. And like I said, people that have my best interests and I can trust, it's a different um, you know, environment for me to be in. I think I want to be able to be at a racetrack and be told that I've made a massive mistake and where I've effed up, for example, but I also want 
you know, to be able to sit and have a glass of red wine on a Sunday evening with that person. And I think having that compromise and that balance um, is so important. You sound very self-aware because I'm right in saying you're still you're still early 20s and actually to know, right, well, I don't like conflict, but I'm horribly stubborn. And they are two characteristics <laughs> that very much oppose each other. But I know that's what I'm like. So has that self-awareness come from being involved in something like motorsport from such a young age, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think not just motorsport, I think just sport, you become very self-aware. Um, you, you, I think you have to learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, like I said, you end up working with so many different people. And I mean, I talk about how great it is having the right people around me, but you're not always blessed with that. And I'll come on to one of my points later, but you've not always got the opportunity to have the best people that you can have a glass of red wine with on the Sunday evening. You don't always have that opportunity. So you do have to be able to adapt and change the way that you think and the way that you are. And I think the more self-aware that you can be, um, the better, because then you can kind of work out what works for you um, work out why that doesn't work for you, but also work out what works for other people. And I think it's so important to understand, um, you know, be emotionally aware of people uh, as well as, you know, professionally aware, because, um, you know, when you're working in such an intense environment, I think it's a really important thing to be able to do. And be empath- empathetic, and compassionate, both to yourself and, and to others as well. I totally agree. Um, we'll move on to one of your firsts, one of many of your firsts, and that, of course, was the W Series. You became the inaugural winner of that in 2019. But I know initially, at the start, there was a huge amount of inner turmoil for you as to whether actually it was the right decision. Um, and I look back on some of that online, at some of the quotes that we saw from um, some drivers. So you came out and said, it's giving us another platform to go racing. I'm a racing driver. If I could, I'd race 365 days of the year. I will still race against men in other championships, but W Series is the perfect supplement to help me develop and progress. I'm excited about what's to come. Pippa Mann, however, said, what a sad day for motorsport. Those with funding to help female racers are choosing to segregate them as opposed to supporting them. I am deeply disappointed to see such a historic step backwards take place in my lifetime. And Sophia Florsch as well added um, that women shouldn't have their own exclusive racing series she disagrees with the solution and we need long-term support and trustful partners. I want to compete with the best. So that just gives a, a glimpse <laughs> of, of the varying opinions that were coming from the inception of W Series. Just talk us through that moment in your own words. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting one because the reason I put this point down isn't because, you know, winning W Series professionally wasn't the biggest um, moment in my career by any means, but from a personal point of view it was and like you said it was mainly stemmed from this sort of turmoil of the sort of debate as to whether it was the right move or not and this comes back to you know trusting the people around me because when it came out or when it was announced I really didn't have my ear to the ground at all that it was going to be um you know a thing and I think for years there's been talk about there being an all-female championship but it just came to nothing so I think I found out the day before it was publicly announced that it was going to be a thing and that was it. And so when it was obviously launched, I saw the reaction um, as I was almost reacting to it. And it was so negative. Uh, The majority of it was, yeah, not positive at all. And I had all these people around me telling me I had to do it. And I was thinking, no, everyone hates W Series. It's going to flop and it's not the right move. And so I remember calling up um, Catherine Bonmure, who's the current CEO of W Series. And Obviously, they've got some great names involved with the series and David Coulthard, for example, and Dave Ryan, who's an engineer, um, is heavily involved. So I remember calling these people up and just asking, you know, the whole concept, what it was about. And 
straight away I felt reassured that actually the you know the focus and the goal of the series wasn't to segregate women in motorsport they weren't trying to do that they weren't trying to you know take us away from you know trying to achieve our ultimate goal of racing at the top against you know all genders um but they were giving us this sort of leg up and this opportunity to be able to gain more exposure gain a high profile have a year's of racing in a championship or in a category that is like a formula three um level car fully funded which i think it goes unnoticed that one of the big battles in motorsport is that getting funding and getting support to race at this kind of level um is one of the hardest things to do it's not uh unfortunately it's not a cheap sport to compete in so yeah to have this all fully funded with uh prize money whilst like i said gaining this level of exposure it suddenly became this no-brainer as to why don't i do this alongside other stuff and why don't i use this platform that's been given to me and yeah i think now i look back on it obviously i can look back at it like this it could have gone one way or the other but now i look back at it and it has been you know the biggest leg up of my career and it's got me to the point where I was able to get a development drive or a F1 seat with Williams. And it's got me to this point where I can, yeah, now go on and um, hopefully achieve more. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I think, so at the start of 2019 or so, when it was announced, I wasn't actually working in motorsport. I only became kind of on the fringe of motorsport um, in April doing World Rallycross and then came into F1 later that year. But I then heard of W Series when I, I hadn't necessarily heard of the other steps that you'd taken in your career. So for me, W Series was like, oh, it's the first women's only series. I didn't necessarily hear um, from, from an out, very much an outside perspective, all of the criticism of it and saying, what's oh, segregating <laughs> and so on. I just thought, oh, that's really good. We're gonna see women have, have an opportunity, a step up, as you said, uh, a platform to to hopefully begin to make those stepping stones up towards ultimately of course seeing women drive an f1 yeah exactly and i think a lot of people now sort of look at it like that and i think the thing that's so cool about w series from my perspective was it reached a whole new audience you know i think motorsport outside of formula one is so niche and i think most people that probably listen to this podcast that don't follow me will probably not understand any of the categories outside of formula one um and so i think to be in w series and that to reach this sort of women's sport market and to reach this whole wider sort of network and audience was so cool to see because it gave us this sort of big opportunity to you know in a sport like motorsport to almost have uh you know women superseding men at that level so suddenly overnight they professionalized women's motorsport you know we we're all effectively paid to be there with the way that the prize money was structured and i think it was an incredible thing for a sport like motorsport to come up with that and i think yeah it's been for me for example so um so beneficial and so um you know so much of a leg up uh, to this point in my career that i really can't uh, argue that it's done me any uh, disarm i would say and we're speaking at the start of 2021 with the season ahead of us. Um, of course, this year, W Series will be alongside as a support race at eight of the F1 Grand Prix weekends. How big an opportunity is that? What are your views on that? Yeah, that's super cool. I think, um, well, last year uh, they were planning to do uh, two races on the Formula One package. That was kind of the next step on from its first uh, inaugural year. And then this year, uh, we've got all the race weekends uh, on the Formula One package. So that's honestly a huge step because it also gets us, you know, racing on the same weekends as the Formula One um, drivers. So we're racing at the right circuits, we're racing on the right platform, we're in front of the right people. And I think it's just another step forward for the series. I think for me, uh, 
well, everything that it did for me in this first year has been incredible, but it's exciting to see, you know, what that's going to now do for the 20 of us that are going to be on the grid to see how, you know, much it can really benefit us and propel women in motorsport forwards. Yeah, for sure. And I know you must get asked this a hell of a lot. <laughs> uh, when do you think we will see, or when do you hope we will see, or when do you hope you will be in Formula <laughs> One as a woman? Um, good question. For me, it's just so important that, you know, whichever woman makes it to Formula One, they're there on merit and not as a token gesture. And I guess in motorsport to make it to Formula One, you've really got to be, you know, at least in the top three in a level like Formula Two um, or a feeder series to Formula One. Um, I'm not obviously at Formula Two level just yet. So at the moment, I'm just working hard to get to that level. And you know, if I get to that point where I'm doing well in Formula Two or a feeder series to Formula One, then I feel like I deserve a seat in Formula One. I obviously want that to be me. Um, but if it's not me, then I want, obviously, um, you know, another female to make it. And I don't think we're that close. For me, um, I would say it's sort of two, three years time. Um, and maybe after me, another three, four years until someone pushes through. But I, like I said, I just hope that this sort of slow but steady change that we're seeing with initiatives like W Series and all this sort of good that's coming out of, you know, these kind of championships that we do start to see a lot more girls come through the ranks. Yeah, for sure. This will inspire so many. I know that as soon as we see a woman in an F1 car, I've got goosebumps thinking about it. Just a woman <laughs> lining up on the grid alongside them all, it would be it would be sensational. It really would. We'll move on to your fourth lesson, um, which has come, I guess, not from a moment, but from looking back over the years. Yeah, so the fourth one is family support. And this one's quite a big one for me because I think I massively underestimated how um, you know important it's been throughout my whole career and I think typically um, you know like any young person in sport you kind of probably do underestimate the value your parents bring into the into the mix but now I can look back and really see that you know I'm not from a motor racing background at all you know they didn't grow up in motorsport they didn't actually come from any sporting background so whilst I say that I wanted to get involved in some sport or another um, you know it was just purely their support and I guess their love for me that they were helping me out with that as opposed to um, you know them coming from any sport and sort of pushing me in that direction and I think there's obviously two reasons why I think it's so important actually being from a non-motor racing background I think one of the reasons is the fact they never pushed me into it and the reason I got involved in the sport and the reason that you know I'm still involved to this day is because I love the sport and I love going racing and I love that above and beyond anything but I was never forced into it. It was never that, you know, my dad was a frustrated ex-racing driver that felt like he was going to force one of his kids into it. It was never that at all. I think, if anything, um, he probably wished he could have lived an easier life without us getting involved. But I think that's definitely played a big role because the passion has come from me. And I think that's so important. You see it so often with young drivers and so many people where they are forced into it and they've got talent and they've got the ability but they just don't want to be there and I think for me I'm so lucky that that's not the case um, and then the other side of it is you know I'm able to have you know the support of my family as my family as my mum and dad and they can come to the race and they can watch me and you know if I have a really bad race they're not going to slap me around the wrist or be irritated at me or be a frustrated sporting parent they can sort of well I'm sure my dad's been frustrated at times but they can wrap their arm around me and you know be a parent and I think having that sort of strong sort of core foundation has been so important, um, you know, for me to be able to, you know, enjoy the good days, but also have that support network on the bad days. Yeah, that's so true. Um, 
what what is it about sport do you think because you you mentioned that you sort of threw yourself into it and I'd imagine your family more than supported that and you're right though it is incredibly stressful for parents and I think they would have had an easier life if you'd sort of done a bit of hockey at school and then maybe given up and gone into (laughs) something a bit more ordinary in life um because god you'd hate to be a parent watching your child race or especially race in motorsport as well where of course it, it, we know how dangerous a, a sport it is, but what is it about sport that you think that your family and you as particularly love? It's a good question. I think, I, I really don't, I can't put a pink finger on as to why, um, you know, I was like that. I think I was talking to someone about this the other day and not to get too boring and analytical into it, but I'm always intrigued by why, when we're at school, do some girls get really involved in sport and some girls are involved in other stuff like why do people specialize in certain stuff and I think it does stem from you know some sort of way in which you're brought up you know I think I was brought up outdoors I was brought up with an older brother you know I always was competitive with him we played outside a lot we did um, you know a lot of sport together and I think that kind of just obviously was instilled in me from quite a young age and therefore it was natural for me to day one at school to play sport and um I guess my parents just grew accustomed to that's how their their children were going to be but yeah I'm always interested as to why you know we choose the path that we take and I think it definitely comes from you know your upbringing and yeah little things that you know clearly uh, spark your interest but the one thing for me with sport is I'm really bad at doing stuff that I'm not good at so even in sport if I'm not good at it I don't like doing it and so I so agree with you yeah it's I'm horrible so it's a horrible so. trick it's like netball for example I was terrible at it at school <laughs> so I just never did it I just decided to pretend that sport didn't exist and I'll go and play squash or do something else and yeah I think definitely that kind of stubborn competitive nature in me is um yeah had a had an impact on you know what I've decided to do that's an interesting wider debate, isn't it? Are, are we hired, hardwired to love sport? Is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it a combination of, of all of them? I touched on it a moment ago um, about your parents and watching you race. Um, you know, tragically, we've seen deaths recently in motorsport. How do they feel? And, and do you regularly talk about that aspect of what you do and how dangerous it can be? Um, definitely, I think it's an open discussion. I remember, I, I, even for example, I was actually at home at my parents' place when um, Grosjean's accident happened, and it was a really weird scenario to be sat with my dad while something like that had happened because I'd never seen, you know, how they react to situations. Normally, I'm obviously in a car; I never see, you know, what they're going through. Um, I know I put them through a lot of stress, but that's not just because of the danger. I think that's because they want me to do well um, as well. So. I never we don't really have the full-on discussion with them I think they know that it's obviously a dangerous sport but I think they also know that percentage-wise um I think it's becoming so so safe as well if you actually look at the number of injuries or fatalities um obviously in comparison to um how many years ago but also in comparison to many other sports it really actually isn't as dangerous I guess as it's perceived to be and my dad actually says he gets more worried about me going out on my bike sometimes um than me racing because the chances of someone else you know or someone in a van hitting me off my bike is actually probably a lot higher than um me you know having a crash and having a serious accident so I guess they well they accept it they appreciate it they know that both my brother and I are massive sort of adrenaline junkies um I think we put them through their paces from a young age with everything that we did whether it was skiing or whatever it was we were throwing ourselves 
down mountains. I think they kind of knew what they were getting themselves into. But um, yeah, like I said, I think the precautions and everything that's been put in place with motorsport now is so, so much more advanced than it's ever been that I think we can take confidence in that. I know exactly what you mean about cycling. I'm a very keen cyclist myself, so is my mother. And if I know that she's been out on a ride and I don't hear from her within kind of an hour of when I think she's getting home, I'll be like, well, that's it. <laughs> she's in the hospital. <laughs> like, I, your, your brain just yeah. goes, doesn't it? And if I don't hear from her, I think, oh, no, okay, there we go. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm... cycling is a is a can be a very worrying, <laughs> frightening. It's a oh, wonderful geez. sport I love, but it's, yeah. God, it, yeah. I'm forced to use the Strava beacon now um, by anyone I get told off if I don't use it because well I think this is just more of a lack of trust in my ability but um, yeah I think (laughs) yeah if I've not got that beacon on everyone freaks out if I'm out cycling. Do you Zwift as well are you kind of turboing indoors at the moment because the weather here in in, um, certainly in the UK in February is pretty grim. Yeah I'm basically fully reliant on Zwift. Um, I can't well I did go out for an outdoor ride the other day but in London it's horrible I hate I mean I'm not I'm a bit oblivious to danger um but at the same time cycling in London is not something I want to be doing especially yeah even in lockdown it's not it's far from ideal so yeah I've been using Zwift a lot I need to get my kilometers up to be honest I'm slacking a little bit but yeah I'm a, I, I love cycling and I love training because more from a mental just well-being point of view I think obviously I need we need to be fit as racing drivers but I just love you know waking up every day and having a purpose having something to train for and ultimately one day I want to do an Ironman in the long run but I'm sort of slowly but surely getting into triathlon so this is my way of training a little bit often uh, to get there eventually. Me, you and Jack Aitken, I know Jack, um, he oh, is a keen swifter, is he super quick? I was going to say we should arrange a meetup and no, kind of get, get loads don't. of people involved. We'll put the no drop option on though so he can't, he physically yeah. cannot drop us. So I cycle a lot with Jack. Um, we don't live too far from each other and we cycle a lot together. And he, to be fair, he always paces himself to manage with us, but he's just got so strong. And we've all got whoop bands and we're on a group together. So every day you wake up in the morning and you see his resting heart rate's about 32. Oh my goodness. And everything else. And I'm like, Christ, and say us every now and then, if yeah, we've not had a good day, then we look at the whoop group and it's like, okay, we're just going to have to edit it or delete it. So, so it doesn't look so bad because... Yeah, honestly, he's a bit of a machine at the moment, but it's cool because, yeah, it's nice to have people in the sport like Jack that you can go out and do do other stuff with. Yeah, that's pressure though, isn't it? And I, I kind of hate it when you're riding along with somebody and they are so obviously riding within themselves and you're on the limit and you're like, oh, yeah. how can you be that much better than me? Story of my life. <laughs> me too. I, yeah, I, it's a fun thing though. I really love cycling and it's a social sport above anything else for me. Um, you know, I'm sadly not going to be a professional cyclist as much as I like to dress and pretend that I am um I like to yeah I like to use it as like a social sport something you can go out and go for a long ride a coffee stop a piece of cake and yeah it's it's an enjoyable sport for me in that sense I was about to say it's all about the coffee and cake isn't it um we'll move on to your final lesson learned and I think it's one that many people will relate to um perhaps not sort of you know driving internationally as a professional racing driver but basically a difficult 2020 because who didn't have a tough 2020 it was one of the most I hate to use the word unprecedented historic years I think of our lives um for you what happened and and how do you feel looking back on it now? Yeah, the weird one with 2020 for me is it actually was shaping up to be or 
everything about it had the potential to be my best year yet. Um, everything fell into place in an almost freaky way. Um, the beginning of the year, so I was signed up to do W Series, which as much as, you know, like I said, W Series has given me a massive leg up, it wasn't the ideal because I just won the championship. I wanted to move on. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have an opportunity to move on and do something, you know, the step up. Uh, I wanted to go off and do something like Formula 3 or Formula 2, but I didn't have that opportunity. So signed to do W Series again. And at the beginning of 2020, um, I had this opportunity to go out to New Zealand and um, do some work with a group called Roading Cars. Um, and it was more, they've got a project with a car that they're trying to develop. So I was out there doing that. Obviously, coronavirus hit. I got stuck in New Zealand for a bit, came back and came back, but really positive about the relationship that I developed with Rodin and managed to approach them about sponsoring me to do um, something the year after to do Formula 3 in 2021 um, with a, one of the top teams. So there's a team called Prema Power Team, which in motorsport is the top junior motorsport team. They've won Formula 2, Formula 3, everything, you name it. They're, yeah, an Italian team, but really are the pinnacle. And I was looking at doing that. So W Series this year, but um, Formula 3 in 2021. And then W Series announced that they were going to cancel their season. And within 24 hours of W Series cancelling their season, Prema called us to say that they had a seat available in something called the Formula Regional Championship, which is the step just below Formula 3. And if I did a good job with them in that series, then I could potentially secure a seat with them in Formula 3. So I called up Roading Cars and managed to secure the sponsorship to do the series with Prema. So on paper, to yeah, put it into a bit more layman's terms, I was with a top team racing in Europe with a big sponsor. In my head, being with a team like Prema, I was game set match to finish in the top three of the championship. I was going to get my Formula 3 seat. I was going to do well in Formula 3, get my Formula 2 seat. And I was in Formula 1 already. In, in my head, I'd already sort of thought it through. And it ended up being one of the worst years I've ever had um, from a driving perspective. So it's a really weird one because, okay, 2020 was a tough year for everyone, but for me it had and it's still I can't complain it still was an incredible year being able to race in Europe but it was horrific in terms of how I wasn't able to translate this massive opportunity I've been given it's kind of like getting your opportunities to start for the England rugby team or start for the England football team and or making it to the Wimbledon final and then just flopping and not performing and I still can't to this day put my finger on why it went so wrong but there's so many different factors and I think above and beyond anything, I think the amount that I learned and the character building that I went through as a result of that and almost probably me being a bit too confident and complacent going into it, thinking that I had this opportunity that was sending me on my way has actually taught me more than anything else. And yeah, like I said, the character building that went went into that, I guess, uh, yeah, has hopefully shaped me to be uh, you know, a stronger athlete and a stronger person uh, going forward. My next question was going to be, can you pinpoint why? But I know that if you could pinpoint why, you probably would have pinpointed why within the course of the year and it wouldn't have continued in the in a downward trajectory. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that you had such a, a poor, poor year by your own by your own terms, by your own admission. But you're so right that there was a lovely saying I heard recently. Let me get this right. We don't win or lose. We win or learn. And I love that, that actually through the failure, through the losses, we learn so much more to make the wins that much more worthwhile, to better ourselves, to be in with a better chance of winning 
as people, as athletes. And it sounds like that's exactly the conclusion that you've come to as well. Yeah, no, you're completely right. Uh, it's the best. I really like that saying, actually, because um, I stole it from yeah, Harry I mean... Randall, who's a rugby player. Sorry, Harry. Oh, cool. No, no, I like that. I'm yeah, gonna... take it as well. Um, <laughs> no, because it's just true. Because I think in the moment, I guess all athletes see it as win and loss. You know, anything that's not winning, as cliche as this is, is losing, and you're never happy. And you end up living this quite, yeah, like I said, unhappy professional life because the chance of you winning everything um unless you're on this sort of incredible momentum is so unlikely in motorsport that you've got to give yourself the opportunity to have these sort of learning years and for me it's hard because i found myself learning in the spotlight a little bit and i've come off the back of um you know winning w series i felt this sort of responsibility to represent women in motorsport a bit and i got into sort of this um you know competitive series like the formula regional championship um, in Europe and you know I wasn't able to perform and I think yeah like you said the amount I learned from that is the main thing and I guess there are a lot of things that I can pinpoint and there's a lot of things that I can change now going forwards but ultimately the main thing that I've learned is not to see it as a loss like you said not to write off a whole year and think okay that year was terrible on to the next to actually go through it and think okay right it was a horrible year I don't really want to do this I don't want to have to go through it but why did that go so wrong? Why did that go well? And actually analyze it a little bit with the right people around me and then take the positives and the negatives and take that forward with you. Yeah, for sure. I was about to say, it's about taking the positives, taking the perspective the perspective that you've gained from going through a loss. I think you learn so much more when we go through something terrible than when we go through the big wins. And I think that's reflective in the five points we've talked about here, where actually you don't have those big headline wins as your five points. You have moments along the way where you've you've had to struggle and you've had to overcome adversity and you've had to question yourself and those around you and 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 that's so true final question from me is what's the plan for 2021 because you've got some super exciting stuff coming up yeah i do it's yeah shaping up to be hopefully um covid aside uh, a really cool year we've got yeah w series again which is like you said going to be on the formula one package and the big one that i'm super excited about is i'm going to be racing in something called extreme e this year so that's still relatively unknown but hopefully it won't be um once the first race happens in a few months time but it's basically off-road electric racing in suvs and it's taken us to some mental locations i think the first race is in saudi arabia we go to greenland patagonia dakar all sorts so yeah honestly i can't wait it's going to be yeah a whole new challenge for me but it's going to be an exciting year hopefully and I think it's such an important project as well because motorsport is very much at odds seemingly on paper with the drive for climate change and the drive for us to help and save our planet but actually this is using motorsport isn't it to educate people about climate change by, by racing in like you said some of these crazy locations. Yeah no that's exactly it I think if you look at the amount of people that watch sport and you know the audience that or the eyeballs that that has I think to not use that or that platform for uh, you know something that you know can drive change I think would be a shame and I think what Extreme are doing with that is incredible and from my perspective it's great because I guess I'm involved in a sport um, you know that historically doesn't have the best reputation but to be able to learn myself and be educated um, you know about everything about climate change and what we're doing to our planet is something that I'm finding really useful but then to be able to learn that myself and then use the voice that I have, um, you know, with a platform like Extreme to try and drive a bit of change, I think is, yeah, such a useful thing. Oh, Jamie, this has been 
Brilliant. Thank you so, so much for being part of this. We have, I have one final question for you, but it's not my own question. Um, <laughs> I put forward to fans to ask you anything and I wanted to choose the best one. And so many of the questions were what I knew we'd cover in, in the five points that you've mentioned. But one, um, I didn't think to ask you and we haven't covered so far. It's from Zachary Judge. So congratulations to you, Zachary. You are the winner of the um, best question award and it is what was the first thing you bought with your winnings from the w series oh god um to be honest the first thing i bought this is going to get me out of this question was um i we did a massive dinner celebration with obviously pre-covid times when we could do this um with some of my closest friends and so yeah that was the first thing i officially bought um but then after that yeah i think mainly went on bike parts I think to be honest quite typically <laughs> just I know cycling it and yeah <laughs> just got swallowed up into a bottomless pit that is still being swallowed now <laughs> uh, yeah cycling is a sport where you think oh I'll just buy the bike and that's it no, no. <laughs> oh no it's not actually your biggest fan also sent in another question as well Jack Aiken <laughs> oh, God, here we go um when is your super six arriving Oh, that's a good question. I've got, uh, yeah, so I've got a great relationship with Cannondale and um, yeah, I got my last bike from them, but um, they very generously have given me a Super 6, um, which was last year's high mod Super 6, which I can't wait for because I my bike's incredible. This is going to be one for the bike geeks. So sorry if you're not into that, then you can switch off the podcast now. But um, <laughs> it's great for the flat. It's a bit heavy though. So I went cycling last year a lot when I was traveling um, in Italy and France. I was cycling a lot in the mountains and it just wasn't quite the best for, for the climb. So I've got the Super 6 coming from Cannondale, but I don't know when. I think it's stuck at some customs or somewhere at this point. And apparently I have to build it and I've never built a bike. So if Jack is listening to this, Jack, can you come round and build my bike for me? Because I'm no bike mechanic by I, any means. I love that. We've absolutely put Jack in it. You're going to have to come and build the bike now, Jack. Um, <laughs> Jamie, thank you so, so much. That was just brilliant. Lovely to hear from you and all the best this season. It's going to be a big one, I'm sure. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Ah, Lessons Learned is back with a bang. Jamie was so brilliant to talk to and heartening, I think, to hear how she is using a Torrid 2020 for growth, perspective and learning, something I'm sure we can all relate to. Well done to Zachary Judge too, I loved your question. Take a look at my social media at Laura C. Winter and at Lessons Learned Pod for your chance to ask a question to my guests. And don't forget, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review for the podcast as well. I'll really appreciate it. Lessons Learned is out weekly this series, dropping every Monday. So I'll be back next time with another brilliant guest from the world of sport to reflect on the lessons that we learn in every human experience. Until then, stay safe, take care. I'll see you soon.